Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you receive our laudable praise and our laudable service for the sake of Jesus, and that you have given us grace that we might be led on that path toward that good service before you. And so we pray for that very grace now to open our ears, to open our hearts, to open our minds, that we would be more fully formed in Christ, that we would be reshaped, that we would be remade, and that we would be convicted of that which we have done wrong, that we might confess it and be more and more restored into your presence by your grace in receiving us for the sake of Jesus our Lord. And all of this we ask through that very same Lord. Amen. So this morning we have heard from multiple passages, and all of them come together in one way or another to turn on what you might call the old man, the old way of being, the old way of behaving, the old way of pursuing this life, the way of doing things in my own way, as opposed to doing things the way God has laid them out before us. And it's a tricky situation that we find ourselves in when we begin to be confronted by that reality, by the reality of the path that God has set and has said, follow this path, but our hearts turning toward another path, veering away from the path that God has set before us to do that which we want to do, to do that which we desire to do. As Solomon said, I did everything I wanted to do. I pursued pleasure. I pursued madness. I pursued wisdom. I built all these great wonders in Jerusalem and throughout Israel. I was the greatest king they had ever known. And it's nothing. It is emptiness. It is vanity. It is a blowing of the wind. For it all goes back to dust. It is all lost when I die. And though I may find pleasure and joy in the toil of my hands in this moment, if it is only the toil of my hands that I can look toward pleasure in, if that is all I have under the sun, then it is all for nothing. Because it does not last, it does not heal me, it does not fix that brokenness within that is driving me to pursue all of this stuff. That brokenness remains broken. That brokenness remains as it is. Because all of this is just a distraction. These pursuits, this life is a distraction from what the Lord is trying to reveal to me. It's like Blaise Pascal said, all of our desires, all of our pleasures in this world, they're just nothing but a distraction. They take our eyes away from the internal problem that we have. They take our eyes away from the external problems that we create that come out of that internal problem. And it all flows out of a twisted and sick heart. It flows out of a heart that will not let itself be diagnosed. It flows out of a heart that resists, that is hardened, that is turned into stone, and cannot follow the Lord until the Lord acts. And yet the Lord is continually acting toward it, and it is continually striving to ignore what the Lord is doing, what the Lord is revealing. And that's especially what we hear about right now 
in the gospel. In Jesus' parable, in his encounter with this young man who is demanding judgment against his brother. And what we discover is that the heart of the matter isn't the need for justice in this case. The heart of the matter is where is this brother's heart? Where is this man's heart really setting? What is it set upon? Is it set upon healing the relationship that exists between himself and his brother over this issue of inheritance? Or is his heart just simply set on getting his just desserts? Getting what he believes he righteously deserves? And so Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter in this passage. Luke 12, 13 says that someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? You see, Jesus confronts this man. This man comes to Jesus, seeing him as a great and wise teacher, and he wants justice. Yes, he wants righteousness to be done for him. We don't know the situation. We don't know if his brother has wronged him by refusing to give him the inheritance. We don't know what exactly is going on. Maybe his father only recently died and there hasn't been time to properly work through and divide out the inheritance amongst the two brothers. But this one man comes to Jesus and demands that Jesus act and tell him, tell his brother to divide everything up. And Jesus' response, I mean, in our day and age, we hear, man, we think... We don't think much about that. But in that day and age, as one commentator said, it was like looking at someone instead of calling them friend or neighbor. It's like, old man, listen to me. It was an insult. It was a response to kind of cut that person down some, to remind them who they were, that they were no friend of yours. And Jesus says, who made me a judge? Who made me an arbitrator over you? Because in this case, this man is wanting division not only of the assets, not only of the inheritance, but he is separating himself from his brother. He is angry with him, and he wants his inheritance so he can do away with his brother ultimately. That is the sense that is being given here in this demand. Make my brother divide it with me, and then I can have nothing else to do with him. And Jesus says, I'm not here to arbitrate. I'm not here to judge in these situations. Jesus comes to reconcile In dealing with the heart of the matter, he is coming to drive home the need for reconciliation, to drive home the need for coming back together and identifying what the real problem is in this lack of division of inheritance, to identify what the real issue is. And in getting down to this heart of the matter, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The heart of the matter here is that this man who has come to him apparently must have a covetous desire. But he's refusing to acknowledge it. He demands justice to get the inheritance, refusing to let that very justice stand over him, to stand over and judge him. He wants justice to judge his brother in order to drive him to give him his inheritance. But he does not want justice to come down upon him. And so Jesus turns justice against this man and reminds him to be on guard against covetousness, to look at your heart because covetousness flows out of the heart. It's not an external thing coming at you, but it's an internal thing extending from you. 
One way to translate this Greek word is to also recognize it as an insatiable desire, an insatiable lust, something that can never be filled, something that can never be filled up to the brim, that flows out of fear of not having just enough. That is where this man is in this issue of the heart. He is covetous. He is coveting this inheritance so deeply because he is fearful of not having enough to get on in life. He's fearful of not getting what he thinks he deserves. And honestly, whenever we think we deserve something, we often estimate our deserving much higher than what it really is compared to our neighbor's needs, compared to our brother's needs, compared to our family's needs. We tend to lift ourselves up on a pedestal and lower everyone else down, saying that we deserve more justice than them. As opposed to letting that justice, letting that system of law reflect back our problems, reflect back our issues, reflect back the brokenness that actually pervades everything that we do. And that is the heart of the matter, that we are covetous. We desire that which our neighbor has. We have an insatiable desire to build ourselves up, to gather stuff around us for our very sake. And we don't want to recognize it. It is so easy to pursue this stuff around us, to demand more and more. But we have to let the law reflect back to us the reality of the situation. That if I desire the law to be applied to those around me, I must ask for that very law to be applied to me equally. If the law I fight for is not allowed to reflect back on what I am, then I fight for my own law. I don't fight for God's law. The law must rightfully, rightly turn against me as I turn it against others. If I hold up the mirror of the law to someone else, I must turn that mirror back on myself and let it reflect the ugliness in front of me. Let it reflect what I really look like. Let it reflect that brokenness and my inability in order to check my actions, in order to check my behavior, in order to check my thoughts about other people. That as I demand for something, I must let that law Show me my heart and show me what is in it. And that is what Jesus does. He tells him, this is out of covetousness. You have an insatiable desire to have more stuff, to have more. But you don't have a desire to heal the rift that has developed between you and your brother. And so Jesus leads them and leads him to hear this parable after this wisdom saying, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We learned that in Ecclesiastes today, Solomon had everything, but it was unsatisfying. And yet he kept pursuing more and more. He lived as pleasurable a life as he could. He lived as hedonistically as he possibly could, desiring more and more, testing everything, but finding more and more emptiness within. And what we see in this parable is that you can't spell idolatry without I. Look at how often this man in the parable says, I. I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. You have everything you need. So relax. 
Eat, drink, be merry. Do whatever you want. You're good to go. In this case, his covetousness has made him the center of everything. It is all about me, myself, and I in this case. And where did all these crops come from? Did the rich man do anything to produce this bumper crop, to produce all these extra vegetables, all this extra grain, all this extra stuff that he has in his fields? No, the parable simply says the land of a rich man produced plentifully. The land caused it to come forth, and if the land is what caused it to come forth, then it is ultimately coming from the hand of God for him. The hand of God caused his fields to produce plentifully one year. And he thought to himself, he said to himself, he had a dialogue within. Another strange thing to do in this situation, in this world. He had a conversation with himself about what he would do. In many places in the Middle East in this time, you're living in a tight-knit community in a village with people all around you. Everyone knows everyone else's business. Like we heard about in last week, about the friend at midnight, that if he went to one fellow, went to his neighbor and said, hey, 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 I need some bread to help this traveler friend of mine. And if the guy said no, everyone in town knew about it. Everyone knew that he rejected him. This is the same thing where everyone's in everyone else's business and it's weird, it's strange, it's odd, it's out of the norm for this man not to have a conversation with his peers about what do I do now? What should I do with this extra gift I have received from the Lord? But instead he dialogues with himself instead of with others. He centers everything on what he is going to do. I know I'll do this and this and this and this and this. It is all about himself. Instead of asking, how can I use this to serve? How can I use this to help? How can I use this to bring about ease for others? I will make everything easy for myself. And what we don't hear about is who's doing all this work for him. He's a rich man, so he has plenty of servants. He has plenty of employees. He has all these workers that he is now making do all this work for him to build these barns, to build these storage houses, to plow these fields, to bring in this great harvest, to hoard it all away so that now he can sit back and relax, so that he can sit back and live life to its fullest, live it to its most pleasurable, to just enjoy being on his own and not having to depend on anyone, not even God himself, because he produced all this extra food. What's great about this word relax is it has this relationship to the word diaphragm. So there's a sense of <sighs> relaxed. We all know that feeling where we just take that big deep breath and just exhale it all out and our bodies just go limp. And we're just like, ah, oh. that's the sense that's being given here. He can take this deep breath of all these great things he has accomplished and I can sit back. I can do anything. I don't have to worry about the future anymore. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, what, whose will they be? Jesus loves to play with words. This word fool in Greek literally rhymes with the word for relax. 
And so, in a way, Jesus says, <sighs> he breathed out and relaxed. And God said, you gutless man. Because it's related. It's a related word that has to do with the guts. You fool of a man who has no guts to know that you are in the wrong. Who has no guts to let the law reflect back on you that you are in the wrong for hoarding all of this wealth unto yourself. For looking at life as something that is to be about your pleasure and you alone. You fool. Your soul is required and now justice will be brought against you. The law will be laid before you and you will be stripped bare. Everything that you have prepared for the future, whose will it be now? All that you have is lost in this world the moment you die. And Jesus concludes, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This me, myself, and I attitude is the root of idolatry. It is making it about me, putting me at the center and shifting the God who has created all things away from the center and ignoring him. So the one who lays up treasure for himself, he may have treasure here on earth. He may have great pleasure. He may have lots of fun times. He may eat, drink, and relax and be merry all the days of his life with his great treasures. But he has no richness toward God. As he pursues his covetous idolatry, as he pursues that which lifts himself up, but puts down his neighbor. He will be left alone. He will have nothing in the end. He will not have riches toward God, which will accumulate as we turn, as he would turn and confess his wrongdoing, as he would turn and help and serve his neighbor instead of himself. And that is the crux of how you deal with the idolatry. Is you turn. And as Paul said in Colossians 3, you put on Christ. Putting on Christ puts to death the old man. It puts to death the idolatry that is rooted inside of our hearts. In verse 5, Paul just simply commands, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. The way to know what is earthly in you is to let the law of God, His Ten Commandments, reflect back upon yourself. To ask yourself each commandment. To let each commandment reflect back on you like we did in Lent. Every time we heard the commandment, when we rehearsed the Ten Commandments, we said, Lord, have mercy on me and incline my heart to do this, your law. We have to hear the law in order to know how to do the law. Not to know how to do it, but to know what to do. And when we hear that law and we know what we're supposed to do, we see that we are incapable of doing it properly in our own strength. Sure, we can get on for a little while. We can accomplish a few things. But ultimately, it requires the work of God. It requires the Holy Spirit taking out this heart of stone that is full of idolatry, that is full of selfishness, that is full of sexual immoralities, that is full of impurities and passions and evil desires, that is full of anger, wrath, and malice. It takes that heart and removes it. The Holy Spirit will place in us a new kind of heart, a renewed heart. A heart that can respond to who God is. And in that receiving of the new heart, we are enabled to put on Christ. To clothe ourselves in Christ. To walk in the clothing who is Christ. Paul puts it in another way. Over in Galatians 3, one of my favorite verses. You have been clothed with Christ in your baptism. That there, it's not 
us actively putting Christ on. It is God putting Christ upon us. And so once God has put Christ upon us, then we are then called to live in that reality, to continually keep Christ upon us, to continually pull him back onto us as we try to slough him off, as we try to push Christ off of us to go do our own thing. Paul looks back and says, put him back on. Wear Christ always because you are God's chosen ones. Your old life is your old life. Abandon it and walk away from it because you have Christ upon you. You are to put off your old self. Put off the old man. Put away your old clothes. Burn them and get rid of them. And wear Christ. For Christ has been put upon you in baptism. And now keep putting him on. Keep wearing him for Christ is all and in all. Christ is the center. Christ is the reason. Christ is the source of your life. So put on the acts of Christ because you are wearing Christ. Put on compassion and kindness, humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another. All of those things are outward. All of those actions, all of those emotions, all of those thoughts and desires are outward ones that are focused on others. A compassionate heart isn't a heart that's compassionate toward yourself. It's compassionate toward your neighbor. Kindness is something that you do to another. Humility means that you're lifting another up and putting yourself below them. Meekness, again, is the same concept. That you don't look highly upon yourself in order to tear down your neighbor, but you look highly upon your neighbor in order to put yourself in your place of service. To be patient a great lesson for me to continually learn over and over and over again. You can't have patience without someone who irritates you. Remember that. When you pray for patience, the person you need patience with is going to be twice as irritable the next day to bring out that patience in you. God will use that other person to bring out these responses. But you must be praying for those responses to be ready and at the go. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. All of it centers on the other. The I must die in order that the other might live. The I has to be put away. The me, myself, and I must be put to death so that Christ can live more and more fully in you. And with Christ already with you, you will be enabled as you look at the law, as you turn to the law to see that covetousness begin to be put to death, as you put it to death through the power of Christ in you. For we don't just sit here and do nothing. We have been strengthened and united to Christ that Christ might live in us and work through us and do in us what we are incapable of doing, but we do it at the same time because Christ has empowered us to do it. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul says, Christ lives in me that I might do the works of Christ. Christ lives in me that I might do what Christ is doing to me. Christ lives in me in order that I might put to death the old man, the old self. That I might put him to death. For Christ has already laid against him that mortal wound that is killing him. And so now I must continue putting him to death day in and day out, remembering my baptism, remembering the promises of Christ, receiving the Lord's Supper, and being renewed and refreshed by Christ himself and his grace coming to me. 
And so the heart of the matter is, where is your heart? When you seek after justice, when you seek after the law to be applied to others, have you stopped and applied that very law into your own heart, that your heart might be put to death? So let your heart be put to death by the law that it might rise to new life in Christ. For only when that law comes against you can you confess your wrongdoings. Only when that law comes against you can your heart be put to death and the old man slain so that Christ can raise you back to life. And so let the words of Christ come against you this day. Hear that about being wary of covetousness especially. Ask your heart, why do you desire this thing? What are you in pursuit of? Are you in pursuit of Christ through this or are you in pursuit of yourself through this? And let Christ work in you to give you the strength to put to death all of that idolatry that flows out of the covetousness. For covetousness, as Paul said, is idolatry. And may we be renewed over and over and over that the heart might be changed more and more, that the heart would be transformed to lead and guide us in the right love of God and the right love of Christ because Christ has loved us and the Father has loved us and given us the Holy Spirit that we might love Him in return. And so receive Christ this day to renew your heart and to turn you from the idolatry that is rooted in it, that you would know Christ more fully and wear Him always in every moment of your life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.